Can I take you back? I want to take you back right now for some of you to the 60s and maybe the 70s. Um, I don't know if I can take you back to the 60s because I wasn't around in the 60s. I almost made it. I was born in March of 1970, so you could make a case that I was here in the 60s, at least in utero. But I want to take you back to the 60s and 70s just for a moment. What the world needs now is love, sweet love. It's the only thing that there's just too little of. Yeah, you guys know the song. The popular lyric is from the 60s and 70s tune. I don't know if you know who wrote it. Burt Bacharach. Burt Bacharach is the correct answer. Yeah, he's like a lounge singer, right? Um, it was true in the 60s. It was true in the 70s. And it's true today. What the world needs now is love. But what is needed is not just any kind of love. What the world needs is the love of another kind, a love of a different kind. You see, in the world of the first century, Greek was the language. Greek was the language of the first century. And this was because Alexander the Great conquered the Persian Empire around, the date was around 330. 31 B.C. And through his conquest, Greek became the language of his empire. And so in the first century Israel, Greek was still the language of the literate world and thus became the language of the New Testament. And in the Greek language, you have four different words for the one English word, love. In Greek, you have four words for what we have one word for in English, the word love. And this does show up as, a, I believe, a weakness of the English language and perhaps a reason why the New Testament was written in a, a little bit more of a crisp language in that regard. How's that? Well, because we love the pizza at Papa John's, and we love our family, and we love our wives, and we love our husbands, and it's just all the same word that we use. It's the same word. In Greek, you have different words to use to describe how you loved the pizza last night, and a different word to describe how you love your family, and a different word to describe how you love your spouse, your husband, or your wife. Eros would be the Greek word, would, would be telling of that self-fulfilling love, that type of love that is fulfilling something that I want, I desire, that I need. That might be um, pizza uh, or something like that. Love of something that you desire. Phileo. Phileo is a different word in the Greek, and it would be the type of love, the love that you would have towards family and friends, and you're familiar with the city of Philadelphia, which is actually the city of brotherly love. Phileo uh, is love. Delphus actually is um, the Greek word for womb. So it's love of those from the same womb is actually what uh, Philadelphia is, and that's why it's the city of brotherly love. 
And then there is another word in the Greek, and it is the word agape. Agape. Agape is a selfless love. It's the kind of love that God is. And this is what the world needs more of. What the world needs more of is agape. Amen? In our study tonight, we continue in our series, 21st Century Christian, here in 1 Peter. What does it mean to be a Christian in the 21st century? Tonight, we take a look at one of the most important imperatives of the Christian life, the imperative to love. A love-filled and love-giving life is what the Christian life is. The Christian life is a life of, let me put it this way, intense love. The Christian life is a life of intense love. The question that presents itself tonight is this. In a world that is growing colder and colder by the day and more and more self-centered, how are we as Christians to conduct our lives? How are we to love? Peter answers those questions uh, here tonight in his epistle and in our text. And I've got, I've just got one point tonight for you. Amen. Somebody wrote a book about preaching. It was called One Point Preaching. And uh, he may have been on to something. Anyways, um, so got one point, And this is the point. Love one another intensely. Love one another intensely. Let's pick it up in 1 Peter chapter 1. Pick it up, verse 22. It says this. Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit in sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible, through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. Because all flesh is as grass, And all the glory of man as the flower of the grass. And the grass withers, and its flower fails away. But the word of the Lord endures forever. Now this is the word which, by the gospel, was preached to you. Love one another intensely. In order to live the Christian life in the 21st century, you're commanded to love with a pure heart. This is the command. This is the imperative. You're commanded to love with a pure heart. What happens to the heart of a person who believes and obeys the gospel of Jesus Christ? What happens to your heart when you give your life to Jesus Christ? Well, it gets purified. Amen? It it, it goes from being this stained heart, this corrupt heart, this heart that's in kind of that stained position, and it gets purified. It gets purified by you believing the gospel, by you trusting the work of Jesus upon the cross, by you believing in the resurrection and that Jesus came back to life and and he called you. And when you believed upon him, when you believed upon the gospel, he did a work in your heart. He gave you new life in him. He begot you again. You became born again and he gave you a new heart. It's a purified heart. The heart is renewed, the heart is cleansed, the heart is purified. So Christian, if you've come to Christ, if you've obeyed the gospel, your heart has been purified. Your heart is purified by faith in Christ 
And in that purity of heart, you're to love one another. You're to love one another. Why? Because because you've been saved, because you've become a Christian, because your heart has been purified, now you're to take that purified heart and you're to love one another with it. Amen? That's what the command is. We're to love with a pure heart. Now, this command is to love. And in the opening, we went through a couple of the different Greek words for love. And the word love here, where it says love one another fervently, is the word, it's the word agape. It's, it's we're to, to agape one another fervently. So we need to drill down a little more on this to find out more about this love that we are to love each other with. And I think it's a great night for us to do it, amen? With tomorrow being Valentine's, it's a great night for us to look at agape tonight. It's a great night for us to look at the love of God and the love that God wants us to have for one another, agape. Now, in case you're new to the word agape, it's a Greek word, in case you're new to it, you might look at it and say, well, that's a gape, right? A gape. And no, we're, we're not going to look, we're not going to do any type of study on the word agape. You say, what's that? We, uh, it is this, uh, with reference to the mouth, which means, uh, with reference to the mouth, wide open, especially with surprise or wonder, agape. Um, his mouth was agape when she told him to make dinner for himself. Okay. <laughs> This is not the word that we're going to look at tonight. Amen? Amen? This is not it. Not a gape. We're going to look at agape. Amen? Agape. Agape. And it means this. To love, to be full of goodwill, to have a preference for, to regard the welfare of. So you can see this is a selfless love. Agape is a selfless love. It's to have goodwill towards the one being loved. It's to to be mindful of the welfare of the one being loved. Agape is a selfless, sacrificial, unconditional love, the highest of four types of love that we see in the Bible. So we're to love one another with a selfless, sacrificial love. We're to have regard for the welfare of those around us. We're we're to have regard for the welfare of those around us. When it says one another, yeah, that one another, that person, yeah, regard for their welfare, regard for their situation. We're to have regard, goodwill towards them. And so we're to have that selfless, sacrificial love. We're to have that love for one another, to seek the highest good for one another. Let's look down at verse 22 again. It says, we are to love one another, how? Fervently. We're to love one another fervently. So we're to have agape for one another, and we're to have that fervently. So that's why I titled the Bible study tonight, Intense Love. Because the word fervently, is it it means earnestly, fervently, intensely. And so we're to intensely agape one another. That's what Peter is telling us to do. That's the type of love, that's the type of thing that we need to do. Now, to do anything earnestly, to do anything intensely, to do anything fervently, it requires your utmost consciousness. 
In fact, the only thing I could think of that you could do earnestly, intensely, and fervently that would not require your utmost consciousness is perhaps fervently sleeping, uh, like intensely sleeping. You know, you, you've, 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 intent, you've slept with an intensity. You know what I mean? I mean, you're so tired. You're so tired that you couldn't even wake yourself up, even if you tried, you know? Have you had this feeling? Like, you're, you're, you're not even sure if you're awake or asleep, and you think, maybe I should get up right now, and I try, and I, no, I can't do it yet. Maybe I'll have to sleep for another two, three hours. So you know what I mean. It, it, the only thing you can do intensely, fervently, without your consciousness is to sleep. If you're going to do something fervently, if you're going to do something intensely, you're going to do it with your utmost consciousness. You're going to do it with your utmost consciousness. So uh, we, if, if you don't do what you are going to do intensely, those things tend to be forgotten about. If you don't do things intensely, if you don't do something fervently, if you don't do things uh, with that kind of intensity, those are the things that tend to kind of drift into the background. They tend to be forgotten about. And God doesn't want us to forget about this because it's one of the most important things in living the Christian life that God has called us to live, which is to love each other intensely, to love each other fervently. We've got to love each other with this kind of intensity. And we don't want to, to forget. We don't want to be distracted. We don't want loving each other to be something that just kind of goes to the background. And let's face it, we're all busy and we're doing a bunch of things. And, and, and you're trying to keep track of everything in your life. You're trying to keep track of, of all the bills and when all the taxes are due and when all the, the homeowners associations are due and when the car insurance. And it just seems like this time of year, it's all coming due. Amen. And so you, you, you think, man, now I'm getting a message. I got to love each other intensely. Yeah, you got to put some consciousness on this so that you can do it intensely and not let it just kind of fade to the background. In order to love one another intensely, I think it'd be a, probably a good idea um, to look at the love that we're called to have for one another a little closer, to look at it a little deeper. And so I want to do that. I want to take you over to 1 Corinthians 13. What, there's no, probably no better place to get a little chunk of, of update for you on what it is to have agape love. And so we want to turn to 1 Corinthians 13, which is also known as the love chapter, the agape of God. It's one of the most descriptive passages on agape in the whole Bible. And I want to read, we're going to look at the first eight verses. So um, just follow along with me as, as we read. Apostle Paul is addressing uh, the church at Corinth here, and so he talks to them, and this is what he says. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. Love suffers long. Let's stop right there before I read these next few verses because what I, I want you to 
think of, as I say the word love, to think of agape, okay? Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself, is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. Just a couple of things as we look at this agape of God, this love of God, and this love that God wants us to have for one another. Just a couple things that we've looked at here. Agape, it, it, it suffers long. It, it is kind. To suffer long is, maybe you have it in another translation that you're reading, it says love is patient. Maybe you grew up memorizing these verses and it says love is patient, love is kind. And, and that's what it means to suffer long. To suffer long is to, is to have patience. And love is patient. Now, if we're going to love, if we're going to agape intensely one another, then the first thing on the list, ding, 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 be patient with one another. <laughs> oh, wow, what a reminder that we need to have. Man, I, I need it. We need it today. We need that reminder today to be patient with one another. And um, I remember there was an old kid song that uh, they used to sing, actually came out of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa. Have patience, have patience. Don't be in such a hurry. Remember when you get impatient, others had to wait for you or something. I can't remember. It's been a, and anybody remember Salty? Okay, no. You don't remember Salty. Okay. All right. Next one. Be patient. Agape is patient. Agape is kind. Kind, kindness is really love in action. Kindness is love in action. And so we're to be agape. We're to put the agape, we're to put the love that we have that's been placed deep in our hearts, we're to put it in action. We're to, to actively uh, seek the goodwill of others and the welfare and the highest welfare of other people. We're to do that. Uh, it says agape does not seek its own. Man, doesn't this go counterculture to to what's, what we see going on in our in our culture? Agape doesn't seek its own. It 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 doesn't seek its itself. It seeks the 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 good of the one being loved. And we live in a culture that's. Really, because it's the, the exact opposite. I mean, we live in a, in a world where selfie is a new word in the dictionary. Yeah, the word selfie. I, I, I know someone who can't even, they can't even bring themselves to say the word selfie. But yet, this is the world that we live in, selfie. Um, but the agape of God, it does not seek its own. It seeks the, the good goodwill, the, the welfare of others. Amen? You know, we live in a culture, too, before the, before the term selfie, and I don't know who coined the term, but there was, there was an old, uh, I don't know, kind of phrase, kind of a question, and it said, simply said, who's looking out for number one? Right? Remember that? Who's looking out for number one? And it was this kind of idea of like, you know, you got to look out for no, number one because nobody else ain't looking you know, out for number one. You got to look out for yourself. 
And there's a certain degree of truth for that, okay? We're not going to dismiss that completely out of hand. But in terms of what God has called us to do, we need to look out for those around us. Those around us. Sometimes I feel bad. I, I, try to, I try to do my best when I come in and out of a store to hold the door for the next person coming in. Doesn't matter if it's a woman or a man. And I try. I can't say that I've, I've you know, threaded the needle on that one. Sometimes you, you, you get, I get so thinking about what I'm doing and as I'm exiting a place, uh, then, then you have that moment where you're staring someone in the face and you're like, uh, yeah, you know, and you're just trying to do it, you know, and you walk away going, wow, I couldn't even muster a hello or, you know, whatever it is. And that can be how it is sometimes, but just looking out for those around you. And this is what the world needs more of. Amen. It thinks no evil. Love thinks no evil. Wow. Could probably do a whole message just on that one. Agape does not think evil. Sometimes we think evil of others when we don't give them the benefit of the doubt. Something happens, something occurs. We hear half the story. We see half of what's happened. We see part of the situation. And instead of maybe giving someone the benefit of the doubt, we jump to all kinds of conclusions and we come up with all kinds of reactions and we're ready to react in such a way and we failed to just simply give someone the benefit of the doubt, that same benefit of the doubt that we would enjoy in return. Amen? And so we, we think evil sometimes of others when we don't give the benefit of the doubt. And this has been a point that I've kind of emphasized or at least tried to in my own life of giving people the benefit of the doubt. Because I want to have the benefit of the doubt. And sometimes, you know, you, you earn a certain level of benefit of the doubt by just the character that you have and the way that you character, characterize yourself and the way that you live. So that when, some, when there is a question mark that someone goes, well, I know Charles and he probably didn't mean it that way. He meant it this way, you know, type of a thing. And, you know, because I know Charles, and, and, I, and, I'm, and I'm pretty sure that he would mean that in a harmful way towards you. And, and the same for you, not, not, not meaning evil and wanting the benefit of the doubt, but sometimes we do it on the reverse side, when maybe someone has actually been harmful to us or evil, and, or we've perceived it to be evil, and we haven't given the benefit of the doubt. In any, in any situation, you would like the benefit of the doubt, then the admonition is to give it. Amen? Give the benefit of the doubt. Now, another translation puts it where it says it thinks no evil. Another translation that you might have read puts it this way. Agape keeps no record of wrongs. Right? There's a translation that reads that way. And, and I actually like that translation. Because I like that. When I, when I first read that, 
verse in that translation, and it said, love keeps no record of wrongs. There, yeah, I like this. I, you know, I like this idea of love that keeps no record of wrongs, you know? And, 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 and husbands, you can remind your wives that, you know, love keeps no record of wrongs. And wives, you can remind your husband, love keeps no record of wrongs. And this is a, it's a good uh, marital therapy verse, amen? Um, because love keeps no record of wrongs. It thinks no evil, amen? If you're keeping a record of wrongs, you're thinking evil. And if you've forgiven the person, you need to stop it. You need to forgive and forget, or at least forgive and move on. Amen? And, you know, you, I'm reminded of like, you know, a, like a duck. You know, God made the ducks with these feathers that just the water just kind of rolls off their back, right? And we need to kind of be like that a little bit, you know? And, and forgive and move on and keep no record of wrongs. Amen? Agape... God's love does not rejoice in iniquity, but it rejoices in truth. Love does not rejoice in iniquity. Love does not rejoice in sin. The the reaction of agape is never to celebrate sin. And unfortunately, we live in a world that is operating from from a point of view that we're to love one another, and, there, and the admonition is using, somehow, it's got to be the wrong type of love. Because I can't love, and I can't rejoice in sin. I can't agape in iniquity. Another type of love might be able to do that, but agape can't do it because it seeks the highest good. It seeks the goodwill of the other person. It seeks the welfare of the other person. And I cannot agape one another and I rejoice in iniquity. And so you and I, Christian, we're living in a time where this whole commandment, love one another, is being twisted into all kinds of a mangled mess because they're using definitions that are not the biblical definitions of how we're instructed to love one another. We're to love one another with agape, which is an amazing, powerful, godly love. But the world wants to say, no, you need to love, and you need to love. And what you're telling me is to love something that I can't love if I'm going to love you, if I'm going to agape. I can't love and rejoice in iniquity. I can love you, and I'm not going to rejoice in such a way as the world rejoiced over recent announcements and recent decisions that have been made in this country and around the world and in other countries. And, and oh, we just rejoice, and, and we just love, and we just rejoice. That is not what the Bible advocates. No, the Bible never advocates for us as Christians to agape and rejoice in iniquity. Because God certainly is not rejoicing in iniquity. But what we do rejoice in, what agape rejoices in, is the truth. Amen? Not in iniquity, but in the truth. And that's why to be a Christian and to have agape is to actually love the truth. If you are a Christian then you should also have a love, a deep, deep, deep love for the truth. 
whatever it is. Whatever it is, you should love the truth. You should want the truth. You should demand the truth. You should love the truth so much. Why? Because God is, well, he's love. He's truth. He, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I mean, he's everything that we're supposed to love, amen? And if agape rejoices in the truth, then we need to have a deep love for the truth. And I think sometimes if you're not loving the truth and you, you're saying you're doing that because you love someone, then you're not loving them with agape. You see, this is where the definitions get crisscrossed. You may, you may be trying to live, love them out here in a worldly type of way. You may be trying to live, love them in such a way of, of, of whatever, but it's not loving with agape. Amen? And that's what we're called to do. We're called to, to love with agape love. Paul told the Ephesians, to, that's why he said to speak the truth in love. Whenever you speak truth, you speak it in love. And sometimes um, there are those situations where it is actually loving to go to people and not enable people to continue to head down paths that are absolutely destructive for them. Now, sometimes you're not received. Sometimes you're not welcomed in that situation. But there are those times, and it is loving. And some people might complain and say, well, don't you love me and whatever. No, we're, I'm loving you right now. I'm loving you right now by delivering the truth of, of, of God's word and loving you and seeking your highest good because that's what God has in mind. Amen? And then if that whole passage kind of wraps up where it says love does not fail. Amen? Don't you love that? Love does not fail. So let's go back to 1 Peter and look at that verse 22 once again. It says, Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit in sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible, through the word of God which lives and abides forever. So the question then becomes, how is loving one another like this possible? I mean, if, as we just went through 1 Corinthians 13, it, it, it kind of started getting a little challenging. I mean, did you start feeling a little kind of hot around the neck going, wow, I'm not going to keep record of wrongs, and I'm not rejoicing in iniquity, and I'm rejoicing in truth, and, and I'm doing all this stuff. Man, this sounds, how, how are we going to do this? How are we going to accomplish this? How, how is loving one another like this possible? To love one another with this agape love is only possible by people who've been born again. I believe what this passage is saying, because you've, been, because you've obeyed the gospel, because your spirit, your heart has been purified. Your heart has been purified. Uh, karathos, cardia. Uh, your, your heart has become pure. Because that's happened and you've been born again by the Father above, you can now agape fervently. And this is the only way that you're going to be able to do it. Because you've been born again. You've been born again. 
by an incorruptible seed, Peter says. You've been born again by an incorruptible seed. Look at that, verse 23. Having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the word of God, which lives and abides forever because. And then uh, Peter goes on to uh, recite for us a couple of verses from Isaiah chapter 40. And the passage actually is recited from uh, verses 6 through 8 in Isaiah 40. And he says this, all flesh is as grass and all the glory of man as the flower of the grass. And the grass withers and the flower uh, fails away, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And so you've been born again by an incorruptible seed. What is this? This is how it's happened that you've been able to be born again so that you can love fervently, so that you can agape intensely. How it's happened is that you've been born again by an incorruptible seed, the word of God that's been planted into your heart. The incorruptible, powerful, living, and active word, the seed of God's word has been planted into your heart, into your soul. And it's incorruptible. The seed of God's word is living and active and incorruptible. The word of God is a powerful seed. And it's been planted into your heart and life. And what Peter does by quoting those verses in Isaiah 40 is he contrasts what happens with corruptible seed with an incorruptible seed. He contrasts, he compares and contrasts, and he says, look, when you have a corruptible seed, what happens is you have grass that comes up. The grass produces a flower. The flower fades away, the grass fades away, it all dries up and goes to nothing. Why? Because it's a corruptible seed. The flower, the grass, and all of it. The word grass there is a word that means it's like hay. The the imagery, I think, that is appropriate here is the imagery of kind of the dried up hay just in a field. It's, it's, It's dried up. It's corruptible. It's going to be either eaten by the cows or burned up or just fade into nothingness. Amen? This is what's going to happen to it. It's a corruptible seed. And, and this, is, this is mankind in the flesh. This is mankind living in this tent, in this house that we have, that, that we're compared to what happens with the corruptible seed. We're like the flower of the grass. And it's fading. It's fading. But here's what's happened to you, Christian. Here's how you're different than all the other grass out there. Amen? How you're different than all the other grass and all the other flowers is that you've had the incorruptible seed of God's Word planted right into the center of your heart. Amen? And it is bringing up something that is powerful and living and active in your life and is enabling you and giving you power through God to agape to love one another intensely, to love one another fervently. This is what God is doing. The word that is in you, Christian, is living, and it's a powerful seed that will never fade away, like the flower, like the grass. Ooh, you want to talk about flowers? Well, God, God wove a lot of great imagery in here for this one for this weekend, didn't he? Let me talk about love, and he let me talk about flowers on Valentine's weekend. And, you know, I'm going to get some flowers for Mary Jo. And uh, have you ever seen these guys on the side of the road? You know, they sell, you know, $5 for a dozen roses. And you're thinking to yourself, okay, something's not right. 
here, right? Something just doesn't seem right about this, but I'm going to give it a whirl because for five bucks, <laughs> for five bucks, I mean, that could be worth quite a few brownie points, amen? I mean, and even if you had to go back tomorrow and get another $5 worth, I think it's hit, it's hit or miss, isn't it? I've, I've, I've done well. I remember one time I did well. I got a dozen that it lasted a few days. And then I remember one I got, it was just, by the next day, it was, it was exactly like this verse. <laughs> the flower faded. And um, so I th- I've given up on the, the side of the road, guys. And I'm pretty much, you know, Publix. You know, Publix florists, you know, it's hard to go wrong. You know, you go in there, you go right to the, you go right to the thing. You know, they've got them all wrapped up, and you just, you know, and it's a home run. And I tell you what, with Mary Jo, it's a home run. A dozen roses <laughs> is an absolute home run. I mean, it's the way to go. But with all that being said, now with all that being said, the flower fades. The grass withers. Without the incorruptible seed of God, it withers. And you know what? One of my favorite passages of Scripture is Psalm 1. Psalm 1, verses 1 through 3. Because God doesn't want the Christian, the vision for your life is that you're no longer grass or a flower, but the vision for your life is that you're a tree planted planted deep where you can grow and flourish and bring forth produce of righteousness in your life that only God can bring into your life and your heart through the uncorruptible seed of God's word. Amen? It's an incredible vision. It's an incredible vision that God has for your life. Not to be grass, not to be even a flower, as pretty as that is for a week, and even the public's ones. Even the public's ones fade and die. And, you know, they go like that. And then, you, and then you come in one day and you have to go, okay, that was that. And where do they go? Right in the trash. Right in the trash. But Christian, God's plan for your life, read, read Psalm 1, 1 through 3, tonight before you go to bed. Open up to Psalm, read the first three verses of Psalm 1, and look at the vision that God has for you, Christian. This is what he wants to do. Because he's planted his incorruptible seed into your life. And look at that, verse 25, it says, and the word, but the word of the Lord endures forever. The word of the Lord doesn't fade away. The word of the Lord doesn't dry up and wither away like grass or a flower. Even Valentine's roses. No, the word of the Lord endures forever. It does not fade away. It will last forever. In fact, Jesus said this, heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will never pass away. Amen? Wow. Powerful. Powerful. And this is the word of God. That word of God that Jesus just talked about, that's the word that's been planted into your heart and into your spirit. 
and you've been born again from above, and now you have the agape of God planted into your heart, planted into your soul, into your spirit. Now here's the imperative, Christian. Now go and agape intensely one another. Amen? Amen? Love one another intensely with the love that has been supplanted into your, or planted, not supplanted, planted into your heart. Amen? Go out with this intense intense agape and love one another. Husbands, love your wives. Husbands, love your wives. Christian, love your brothers and sisters in the kingdom of God. Christians, love one another. I'll close with this tonight. Mary Jo and I were in college together in Lakeland, Florida, at Southeastern College, and it is now Southeastern University. And while we were in at Southeastern, we were planning our wedding. And we wanted to get married, and so we were planning it, and it happened to be this particular occasion that, that I was involved in the planning. And so we were discussing that. And we were visiting some family over here in Brevard County from, from Lakeland. We come over and visit Aunt Nina's here tonight. We would come and stay with Aunt Nina and Uncle Charlie, and, and uh, we would just, you know, visit the Brevard family. Amen? And... On this one particular trip over here, we were planning, doing some planning for the wedding, and we visited a Christian bookstore on Merritt Island. And we went into this Christian bookstore, and um, Mary Jo asked to see the programs for the weddings, you know, the, the little folders that, you know, you hand people when they walk into your wedding, right? And it has all the information on the inside. And so we were looking at these programs and we, we saw one and we looked at it and, and, and we were just in 100% agreement, amen, when we saw this particular one. It had, as, as to the best of my recollection, it had a couple candles that were lit on it and I think a, a Bible. And then it just had the words underneath that that said, love each other deeply. Love each other deeply. And so, Christian, this is what we're called to do. We're called to love each other deeply. We're called to love agape one another fervently, intensely, with the agape love that has been planted through the Word of God into our hearts and into our spirits.